What surprises me, American people don't know we have comedy in Russia. We have comedians, they're there. They're dead. <laughs> if someone heckles you from the audience, you can't say like, your mother wears army boots. <laughs> because she probably does. <laughs> Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured audience. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. You gotta be very selective, very careful of what jokes you say. If you say like, take my wife, please, you get home, she's gone. <laughs>
Weird facts, weird news, whenever you're ready. All right. Weird facts, weird news. Good education is not what fills your heads with facts, but what stimulates curiosity. Then you learn for the rest of your life. Did you fuckers learn anything at college? You want to kick us off or do you want me to? Um, you go ahead and kick us off. I want to hear what okay. you have to say over there. So we were talking before, I can't remember if it was on mic or not, um, about growing up in a small town and things like that. So here is probably the most quintessentially Canadian small town headline I've ever seen. Um, I'll read you the headline and then we'll uh, get into it. So Saskatchewan teacher finds a random house on his own property. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not, yeah, right. So, um, so to help put that in perspective, um, Saskatchewan is the province directly west of where I am. It would actually be right north of Montana. Oh, okay. Um, and so very much like Montana, North Dakota, Manitoba, that area, big, wide open spaces, right? So uh, Patrick Mays was driving to Saskatoon early in the morning. And uh, when he saw a house on his own property, it didn't belong to him. I thought it was really weird, the teacher and current president of Saskatchewan's Teachers Federation told HuffPost Canada. Uh, Mays, who lives just outside the town of Pilot Butte, Saskatchewan, has a 320-acre property. So that's pretty substantial, yeah, 320 right? acres. Yeah, yeah. Said that he had a meeting to make and couldn't check it out, this random house that had materialized on his land. So not only does he see the house there and go, shit, that's not supposed to be there. He just goes, eh, fuck it. I'll deal with it later. Jesus so, Christ. Yeah. So he he actually forgot about it. There's more important things looking. going on. I got more important things going on than the house that yeah. showed up on my acreage. Um, he spotted the house again while out for a morning walk and took some photos, put the question on Facebook. It turned out somebody was actually moving the house from one location to another. Oh, and okay. their payment didn't go through. For the transfer, the, the people that they oh, were paying shit. to move the house. And so the movers just dropped it off. <laughs> that's so he eventually meets up with the person on Facebook and she replies and goes, that's my house. Oh, that's <laughs> shitty. And bo- Could you put your fucking house in park or, and drive and go somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. So And he replied, well, it's on my land. Yeah. And she goes, thanks for putting it on Facebook or else I never would have known. They oh eventually squared it all away. They contacted one another, came and picked it up. And, uh, but yeah, just... You know, Whatever. that blows my mind. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably 16, 17 years old. And, and again, you talk about small town. And this is not really a weird fact, but this goes along with fucking small towns, what you're talking about. I remember to this fucking day, we had a newspaper in the town that was the biggest, largest, close to us called, it was Hamilton. I was like okay. 15 miles down the road. And then there's little, little towns all over. So everybody read the River Valley Republic, and that's what it was. Okay. Front page. Newspaper. Ginger gets molested. That was the actual title, right? So you're like, oh, my God, poor Ginger. You know, was she a kid in school? Was it, you know, something happened? What's going on? Come to find out what it was, was a burglar had broken into a house, and um, the cops had showed up, and they went around the corner outside the house, and as they shined their flashlights on this guy, who was a burglar who broke into the house, he was busy stooping the German shepherd of the house, (laughs) and the German shepherd's name was Ginger. That was the fucking headline 
in the Revival Republic. I mean, you <laughs> small towns just and then, and then we wonder why that. the jokes get made about us about growing up in small towns, <laughs> right, small right, right, right. these yeah. rural areas. You know, like yeah, stereotypes are funny because they're true. Yeah, there's a there's <laughs> a know? fucking base of it somewhere. You know, it just fucking amazes me. Jesus Christ! But I mean, I remember Ugh. growing up, and my parents still don't lock the the doors to their car with the keys in the ignition. Oh yeah, that's my. Growing I didn't up. know. I didn't know that our house front door locked. I bet you until I was in my teens. Dude, I didn't even know you could take the keys out of the fucking car ignition. I kind of right? thought like, they came with a car. They were yeah, just I in just there. Always made that noise when you opened the door because you know I never made the connect. I, I go home now and I visit my parents and that maybe my car's last in the driveway. Dad goes to take my car uptown or something like that, and he has to come back inside and get the keys to unlock the door to start the car because of course I take them out and I lock them and I put them yeah. in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah, like but a grown up. This is taking that to a whole another level. Just ah, fuck it. I'll leave my house here. Nope. Never had the door locked. Never had keys out of the car. Ne- yeah. No. Never, I'm with never you. left the, car, had the house out in the middle of the field. Nope. Nope. Never did <laughs> fucking either. That's funny. <laughs> well, I got a story here. This I will say it's not like a guy that finds a house on his own property that he wasn't aware of because that's fucking that's pretty goddamn good. This is the second time you trump me with your stories, guy. The whole German guy that Everything got eight two. Oh goddamn it! Oh, it's just fucking hilarious. Um, so this is something interesting that uh, I stumbled on actually, uh, I think last week. So smoking psychedelic toad milk could alleviate depression for up to four weeks. So <laughs> here we go. So a milky psychoactive secretion that oozes from the gland. I love how they wor- say use the word oozes. Who uses oozes anymore? From the glands of a North American toad could provide a fast. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. They're all scared for their lives right now. Um, provide a fast-acting, extremely potent treatment for depression, according to a new study. Um, the amphibian in question is a Colorado river toad, or Bufu alvarius is a scientific name um, to give its proper title. Its main talent is discharging a whitish substance that contains a compound. Well, we've all been known to discharge a whitish <laughs> substance. What makes a toad any fucking better? Anyway, another story altogether. Um, contains a compound. <laughs> so many jokes. So <laughs> oh well boy, oh boy. Um, this compound is a psychedelic uh, tryptamine uh, that is related to more famous compound DMT, famously found in the mind-altering psychedelic brew um, ay- ayahuasca, which I get. I think it's an Indian, right? Ayahuasca. Is that, that what sounds like it. I don't. That's yeah. new to me, but that's what. Yeah, yeah. I think I've heard it over over the time I'm not. So when dried and smoked, this unusual toad gunk uh, is reported to ooze and gunk. Fine, Arthur's here. A reported generated <laughs> yeah, we'll a short, scientific. <laughs> Jesus, a short yet earth-shattering psychedelic experience during which the ego is completely obliterated and mystical insights are supposedly accessed. Because of this, it is increasingly being used in alternative healing retreats and by underground psychedelic therapists as a treatment for a range of emotional and psychological disorders. I ask you a question, sir. Okay. What would make somebody fucking find this out and or go even further to go, well, let's try this out and smoke it. I mean, how, what's your, how bored are you or experiments that have not happened and gone awry that this is the one that you're going to, the road you're going to go down. You know what I mean? All I can think of right now, there's that Simpsons episode. That's what he goes, I was uh, thinking Homer when he's looking toads. He goes out on the island and he's talking to the kids on the phone. Yeah. Homer, are you licking toads? <laughs> I'm not not licking toads. <laughs> Nothing. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, I mean, as with so many crazy. things that you can think about, you go, well, who was the first guy that did that? 
Well, that's yeah, thank right. You, just, you know, you know yeah. maybe this will, maybe this will get. I, right. I guess people have been looking for new ways to get high from the beginning of time. Well, or it's you one know. of those things where you see like a some weird, stupid thing on a sign saying, you know, no shoot, no shoes, no service. Okay, Somebody there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason that fucker's on there because this guy. The, how many things the other the guy licked before he found the toad? Like how many oh, swings yeah. and misses right. do you have to take before you right. actually find the thing that gets you high? <laughs> Not it. Not Just going it. around licking Not shit it. randomly. <laughs> God, that's too funny. Sta- <laughs> anyway, Stand- standard Wednesday night as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, no shit about that, right? Uh, what do you got on your side? Um, that's about it, my friend. On your side, okay. That's I've, all I got. I've got one more thing, um, hey. and I kind of, I guess, I want to ask you some questions about it too, because I think you and I kind of feel the same way, and and. I think we watch the same things. Does that make sense? Like what we enjoy to sit down and watch a movie or TV kind of falls f- with the same premise, you know, of what yeah, there's the a good are. chance that, yeah, that it overlaps. We're interested in the same stuff, yeah. but yeah. Um, so I came across what well, not an article. This is actually a release thing. So, um, and this led me to a discussion and this is what I kind of want to ask you. So okay. they actually are rebooting. Do you remember the movie child's play? Yes. I think I don't know uh, that I ever saw it, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me see the date. I think it's 1989. I'd like to think that was original Charles play. Of course, you know, there's Charles play one, two, three, bright at Chucky. All those things came through. Um, they are releasing a brand new child's play movie, um, which obviously is a reboot. That leads me to this question here. Um, first of all, what's cool is this Chucky, so the voice that actually is going to be of Chucky, this new movie, is Mark Hamill, okay. um, which we all kind of know, obviously, from Star Wars fame, as yep. well as uh, he did the animated Joker for years in uh, Batman. I, I've never seen it, or if I have, I've only seen an episode or two, but I know so many people and have read so many articles that people swear by, like, in conversations, who was the best Joker. Like, people were That's actually talking all, about this animated yeah. version of the Joker, that voice, that Mark Hamill did the voice for so I'm assuming it's really good. I don't know that I've ever seen it myself. They, they were really good, and just how he does it is so creepy. It, it's just so it, it's just it's really really well done. Two cents now. What are you going to do to me? So he's going to be the new voice of of Chucky, and and I think that's kind of cool for you know to bring him into that mix. Um, my question for you would be: fucking reboots. Are we yeah. are we done? No, yet? I I know where you're going with this, but yeah, go ahead. I I mean, are we done? Do you think they're necessary? Do you think that are you the kind of guy that goes, God, I can't wait to see this made again, or does it really depend on what the movie is? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm on record as already saying I'm not a big movie goer. I'm more into TV shows and TV series. Right. The way I tend to look at reboots in general is at. I'm here. I'm going to climb up on my soapbox again. Star Trek, um, the new, newish J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. Um, I really can't help but feel like people are just getting lazy. Guys that grew up watching this stuff and ha- had their own mental fan fiction written for it, and now and now they go, well, I want to, you know, write the Star Wars story that I've always wanted, yeah, that I imagined, or I want to write the Star Trek story that I've ever. But that's that I'm, I'm generally not a big fan, but, but I, I think that there's yeah, it's a lack of creativity. Um But that's happened in Hollywood forever. I mean, ever since Hollywood's been around, you know, if you look on it, it, it you know, how many times have they remade the Lone Ranger? How many times I right. mean this has been around forties, fifties, sixties, it's nothing new. 
it's just a matter of, you know, like, like, is it, you know, are we done with the reinvention? Like how many times can you reinvent this? And when you think about imagination, I, you know, maybe it's just me being, I'm a certain age. And I remember when I grew up and I was a teenager and shows like Ghostbusters and Back to the Future and, you know, these movies that were just to me iconic. They, they there's got to be another storyline somewhere that's just as good now as it was when we came up with these back in the 80s and the 90s. You know, they, right. they don't have to like, re, redo everything, rehash everything out again. You can't tell me that the idea well has run dry. Right. Right. right? Like, I right. mean, it, there has to be more stories, more that people have created without going back to the same well so many times. And I think part of it is, I mean, monetary cash in. Like, you've already got the the built-in name recognition. Yeah. You've already got yeah. the... The, 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 they're hoping that when they redo the Ghostbusters movie, they're hoping to tap into guys like you and I, they just go and see it because it's Ghostbusters, right? It becomes a much more difficult sell when you've got a new product. Well, look for example. When you've got a reboot, half the work's already done for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, so you've got a you've got a captive audience almost in in, in a sense. Well, look for example, um, what two three weeks ago now going on? It's going to be um, they released Pet Cemetery. No, I haven't seen it either. Actually, um, I'm watching these previews of Pet Cemetery, and, and a lot of the previews and a lot of how they're presenting it is, oh, Stephen King's best. Stephen King's this. Oh, this is a reinventing. This is a tale that has been. They make it sound like it is the original. Like there was no Pet Cemetery in 1989, and any millennial that isn't really going to do their homework fucking isn't going to know that there was a Pet Cemetery in 1989. They're going to think that this is a brand new idea, and this is the first movie of its kind about such and such, and that's kind of how they pitch it. And I find them doing the same thing with other movies as well. You know, they don't really talk about, well, this is a reboot. They just, oh, this is a, f- a new and fresh and entertaining. And if somebody's really not paying attention and they're an early 20-year-old or mid-20-year-old, they're not going to know. You know, they're not going to go back and find out that there's something before that. They're not going to know that there was a 1930s uh, fucking Frankenstein when they release a new Frankenstein. You know what I mean? And to me, it's kind of deceiving. I, I think how they play and how they kind of spin everything up. You know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to do it either. So I hadn't considered that angle before, but that's actually a really good point in that. I remember when the new JJ Abrams, Star Trek movies came out and I gave the first one a shot and I haven't watched any of them since. And as I would proceed to rip it apart, right. somebody would say to me, well, if that's what it takes to get new people into Star Trek, that's what they're going to do. That, that's what that's, yeah. Then it's a good thing. Yeah. And well, eh, while I, I agree with that theory, I don't know that it happens in practice. It's like communism. Right? It's like communism. Communism in theory is a fucking great idea. But you're always going to have one asshole that thinks that he's more important than all the other assholes. And you're always going to have a person who's just going to realize that they don't have to work and shit's going to be handed to them because that's the idea of communism. You're, it's the same thing. <laughs> just, you know, so you're the moral always of the story somebody. is we really need to have that political episode sometimes. <laughs> we really do. Actually, I am waiting <laughs> with bated breath, dude. I, well, for exa- so for example, but, and then we're actually going to go into um, going to the topic of our um, on Dietloff, but you know, and I don't want to kind of get off misconstrued. But but the the whole the rebooting and the movie thing are just very interesting. I know that I know where you kind of stand with it. Um, did you know? And dumb question, but did you know there was a Captain America movie back in the eighties? 
Did you realize no, that? I wouldn't have been able to tell you that, no. Yeah, well, there was. I watched it. I I mean, I was a kid when I watched it, but I remember seeing it. I remember how hokey it was, but right. it was the same premise. He came from the ice and da-da-da. He battled Red Skull. It, but nobody knows that. Nobody knows, or not nobody knows, but there was a Punisher movie back in the 80s, too, with Dolph Lundgren. A lot of people yeah, that don't one know I knew that. About. Okay, okay. But I don't know you, that I've ever seen it, which seems to be I keep saying that over and over again. But it's really bad. But I did I did actually know about that one because I remember a friend of mine talking about it when the new ish I mean to be ten years ago or more now right. Punisher movie came out. I remember him talking about the Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. yeah. Well and, and there and there was a there was a Spider Man movie back in the seventies. I mean, you know, this thing gets rehashed. The cool thing now is and what I've been waiting for, what you've been waiting for at a certain point is um, animation and technology and CGI has caught up with stories. So, you know, you're able to put something on the big screen that really looks real. It doesn't sure. look There's value it in that. Look. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the, there is going to be, they just started filming a new Dune movie, which oh, is probably yeah. the first time I've been excited about a movie in a very long time. I can imagine. And as much as I love the 1984 David Lynch version of Dune, some of the Special effects and practical effects are, I mean, it, it didn't age well. The movie, sure. uh, some of them are great. Sure. Some of the, the, the sets and things like that, are, and some of them are, are really good. Some of the other effects are not good at all. And so I'm definitely anxious to see the story told properly, at least visually properly, compared to that version. Not that I don't love that version. And so I guess it all depends, too, on how much you're into something or, or, yeah, or I, yeah. we're all such harsh critics, right? Like I'm really excited for this movie now, but I'm a huge Star Trek fan and I fucking hated the JJ Abrams Star Trek. You know what? And so just to kind of wrap this whole topic up, I, you know, take next generation, for example, you know, when I was a kid, I watched the original Star Wars or Star Wars, Star Trek. And it wasn't new by any imagination, but you know, I had two fucking channels and it was reruns and that's what I watched. And yep. I fell in love with these characters, you know, Kirk and Leonard Nimoy and Spock. And I, God, I got a picture of, of Leonard Nimoy hanging in my ear as I'm podcasting. Right. I'm looking right at it. Um, I fell in love with these guys because it just, number one, Gene Roddenberry, for example, he created an idea and I don't know who wouldn't want this where there's no money. We're not, we're better for humanity. We just want to better ourselves. We're at peace. Um, it's just a cool premise. So even the idea of Star Trek in general was kind of neat. When Next Generation came out and I was a teen, whatever, um, I refused to watch it. I fucking refused to watch it because I eh, nope, nope, nope. It's not the original. I'm not going to do it. It wasn't until like two years after the actual series went off the air <laughs> that I started watching Next Generation. And I went, oh, these aren't bad. This is kind of cool how they do this and how they continued that legacy and that, and that timeline. Same thing with J.J. Uh, Abrams. and the, I will tell you, I've watched them. They're not bad. They're really good. But I drug my feet when in 2009 when they released a Star Trek episode. Right. I didn't watch it for like a year and a half. Because I was like, yeah, I'm not, it's not original Star Trek. I don't want nothing to do with it. And I drew the line in the sand. You know, it, it, it's one of those things. It depends how you want to see it and how you want to viewpoint it. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about imagination and, and maybe we're running out of it. I see that a lot, and I see maybe some of that is we really don't run our imagination. We're just trying to do something cheap and easy and not put work into it. And that seems like that's a running tale for most of this decade. Uh, maybe it's just me, but it just seems like people are just being lazy nowadays, you know? 
with what they yeah, have. Yeah, it's all very corporate. And yeah, I mean, yeah. we really need to have the political episode, but this is a really, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's capitalism at its finest. It is. Oh, is totally, what it is. Totally. It's it's how can we make a quick buck? First yeah. of all, and how yeah. can we save as much effort and and built-in fan base and all of that sort of stuff? But aside from that, I think part of why science fiction in particular is so hard for this for reboots and things to deal with, science fiction nerds, of which I am one, mm-hmm. are very much into detail. Sure. We love, right, right. you know, what class was the starship? How many pips does a guy have on his collar? You know, all of that sort of shit. And the more stuff like that involved in a universe, the more shit there is for them to get wrong. Yeah, true. Right? True. It there's, gets more, con- it gets there's, convoluted. More, there's more nits for me to pick. Yeah, it gets convoluted. It, but anyway, um, enough of that. Kind of put it on we the should side. move this along. We should. We, uh, are, we are totally. We're going to actually jump into um, part two of the Diet Loft Pass incident. Um, that we talked to previously. So for those of you obviously that are listening and catching up, um, we covered the beginning of the story where the hikers were doing, kind of the predicament they got themselves in, and some of the idea of the geology around that area, some of the superstition around that area. Um, I've already got questions. I know Mitchell's got a few too. Um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to roll into uh, part two of the Dietloff Pass. Stand by. I don't know, Mitchell. You, you want to do a little quick recap just for people? or Yeah. Okay. Um, we left it at a bit of a cliffhanger last time. We laid out how we all got to find out where the hikers, how they ended up, and a little bit into maybe what we thought had happened or what they thought had happened. But there's definitely a whole bunch of stuff left to still be touched on in terms of how do we think that they got to that point. And I guess that's going to be the big question that we're going to try and answer by the time this is all said and done. Um, laid all the groundwork already, left the, left the cliffhanger. Um, I'll let you, uh, recap for us how we got to this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good, uh, that's a good synopsis. So we're at the juncture where we had the autopsies. We found all the bodies. We have some scenarios that we're going to throw out there and, um, and we're going to kind of continue the story and kind of where we're at and what we're doing. And then we're going to kind of matter of fact of, of the fact, keep in mind also that the case again is reopened, has been reopened. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to write this and, and kind of pull this up because it's very interesting on the fact of why it is, it is opened, um, along with some other little odds and ends. So if you're ready, let's go ahead and start the rabbit hole again and we'll go for it. Sounds good. In February 1959, a group of hikers died in mysterious circumstances on the slopes of a then unnamed mountain. Now one of the most famous mysteries of the 21st century, are we any closer to understanding exactly what caused the Dyatlov Pass incident? So as far as the most recent mention of the condition that Dubinina was found, uh, she was found face down near a stream where that may have led to, and I hate this word, by the way, the putrefaction of her body. Okay, so, yeah, ugh, right? Um, We've I had believe, a bunch of really good words this episode. Yeah, oh, boy, we? ooze and all ooze, this other shit. Gunk yeah. and putrefaction. Uh, so I can believe that some of the missing external parts, um, but what we're asking ourselves is her tongue. Um, not sure on the tongue thing, even the eyes maybe. Okay, so she was in a stream, she was face down. That explains... And again, I'm not by any stretch of imagination. I don't think either one of us can sit here and say, oh, well, we're doctors, but I'm not a real gynecologist, but I play one on my tool shed. I don't think we can ever say that's a fact. So maybe I get the cheek missing, 
whatever have you from that, from the stream and the water and the, and the rinse away. But you're looking at other things here that I'm, I don't know. I, I'm not too, not too sure about it. So there's one question um, of the fractured bodies that we covered previously in the story. So in the region, there also was a local, there's a local group of people known as the Mansi tribe. And we covered that earlier. Did they attack them? I mean, this village, this tribe was actually was still up there in the mountains, very remote. Again, um, is there, a, maybe they, maybe that's what the hikers heard. Maybe that's how they got out of the tents. Uh, maybe that's why everything was ripped open and they were running around kind of disorientated because of that. I, you know, we don't know. It's speculation that that is, that is the case. Maybe they were attacked. Um, but slight problem with this. No footprints at all, first of all. So second, there's no indication of a hand-to-hand -hand struggle. And even though the three were found to have severe fractures and severe body blows, there was no soft tissue damage that would lead to damage like that that would occur. If somebody's going to hit you with something or punch you with something, yeah, you're going to have fractures, but you're also going to have that soft gonna, tissue to get to it. You know what I mean? Right. Exterior injuries that you can right. view, right? right? Like a laceration or a bruise or something of that nature. But this looks more like... Pressure. Or this looks compression, yep. right? Like pressure, things, compression, quick things hit. Things fucked up on the inside, but you look okay on the outside. Yeah, yeah, like some kind of a just a, a quick hit, a quick blow that nobody can nobody can explain. <clears throat> so that kind of defeats that purpose. Now with the with the steps and the footprints. Okay, you know, again, you're doing what in May they found these fucking people. The rest of them under fifteen, almost fifteen feet of snow. Uh, okay, so the footprints thing, a mute point. I, I feel you know with the weather and everything else out there. But uh, is something to be said about the actual injuries themselves and how they looked. And to add to all that, uh, Dr. Vassar Zdesny, who did the autopsy previous uh, to the other ones too, stated that the damage to the three members could not have been caused by another human. Absolutely. He ruled that out completely. So like more, you say, could have been caused by a human. Where I'm assuming that means like too much force was needed to cause the injuries as could be caused by a human, right? That's, like, that's where like. we go back right. to the, you know, resemble the car crash where it takes such a huge amount of force to break those bones that, you know, yep. you can't yep. wind up and punch somebody and do the type of damage that was done. Right. Sudden blow, sudden hit, sudden pressure, something that just, there's no way. And he said that, uh, that another human would do that. Now, right. I think what the one thing I would have asked of this, and again, you're looking at like 1960, you know, is there possibly bringing another second opinion, another autopsy, another uh, somebody else to have the same synopsis? It seems like this guy's name's all over the place, and it's not that we don't trust him, but at the same time, it, with these weird facts, and as you're finding these weird things, as you're finding tongues missing and eyes missing, I don't know if on the flip side I'd want to go. Could you bring in a second opinion just so we know kind of where we're at and what we're doing? That yeah, never happened. So. Something you seem to see time and again in this, in this stuff that can't be explained. It gets to the coroner's office, and he just goes, well, obviously they, it was asphyxiation. Yeah. Obviously it was yeah. whatever. Yeah. Sign, that, that, I mean, yeah. you got to assume that there's some degree of just, yeah, sign the fucking form and get it off my desk. I don't give a shit. I guess. I get, you, you know, know how, right? what do you like, die from? Death by death. Okay. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody really fancies doing that much digging like i mean that's not their job right their job is to find a cause of death or not find a, whatever the case may be and move on to the next right thing. right yeah and that that's kind of where i'm at there too so um this is kind of cool so aside from the autopsy we talked about that we talked about what kind of condition the bodies were found in um there were other speculations that were uh documented and these actually were documented and they're quotes from um different people so 
Uh, during the time of the group hiking in that area, and that group, again, we're talking about the Dayatloff Pass group, uh, the 10, or actually nine, it'd be because the one guy stayed back behind. Right. Uh, there was another group hiking around 31 miles to the south. The group reported seeing orange spheres in the sky several times and during several nights. They were not able to track where they came from, but the guesstimate was that they were hovering close to where the Dayatloff party was actually hiking at. The sighting, uh, the sighting was reported as being seen from the time from January 1959 right up into March of the next year. It was also documented by local Ivdil townsfolk as well as local meteorologists about these exact same orange spheres. Just because we haven't checked off all the boxes enough <laughs> as it is, yeah, and I know right, there's still right, a couple right, left right. to be not checked. I mean, we've uh-huh. already got, you know, missing tongues and eyeballs. We've already got broken, you know, interior, interior, that's not the right word, injuries. Yeah. And now, because we need something else to throw at the wall and see what sticks, apparently we've got UFOs or some shit as well. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. Oh, no, I believe it. <laughs> it's just what, what it was. So, you know, it would be one thing if, you know, you had like a small group. But, you know, the t- number one, remember in the beginning, the town, the Ivdale townsfolk themselves were superstitious. They know the rural mountains as dead mountains. Very remote area. Very hard to get into. Um, one thing that I couldn't find, and, and usually, you know, when I document a story or when I research a story, if, if I can't find it in three reputable sources, I, I, I kind of – I, I – Take it out. I'm not going to talk about it because right. that's where when you know a story turns into a campfire story at that point. If right. you're not really confounding the facts, um, one thing though that did come up, and again, I really couldn't confound it. I think for the most part, or substantiate, but um, was the fact that in this rural mountains on the other side of the slope, there are Russian military bases that are still there, and they have been known to do um, tests and, and other things in that area. Could it be that that's where the Oros Fairs were coming from? Some of that we mentioned, but, you know, I really didn't go into a lot of detail with that. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, you have townsfolk seeing this. You have uh, meteorologists that are documenting on this. You have other groups that are documenting this. Um, so it goes on, actually. So, of course, speculators are first to point out the idea of an avalanche. So this is one thing that I thought about. However, it was investigated and proven that there was no avalanches that occurred in that area. Uh, on top of that, if there was an avalanche, the injuries would have been completely different and the bodies would have been swept away from the original site, even further apart and random where they were initially found. Right. And even to double down on the whole avalanche thing in general. Uh, over 100 expeditions were made after that incident, and not one of those investigations showed any proof of avalanche of any sort. And the geology of how those mountains are designed, avalanches are are just 99.9% not even going to happen. Right. Just because it's not like a, a steep sweep slope that goes from point A to point B. There are certain conditions an avalanche survives in. The design of these mountains, just they don't, they don't have that. Just isn't that. Okay. Well, and to double, triple down, I guess. Now, again, going back to the uh, experienced hikers angle, if there is any sign that this area wasn't going to be safe in that manner, they're not going to set out, right? Like, I mean, they've already, if the weather's yeah. bad or if it's prone to avalanches, you, you, you don't go. Yeah. I mean, you you go around yeah. another way. This isn't the path they would have picked. This right. isn't the date they would have gone. Right. You know, that's the whole idea here is that they're supposed to have known very much what they were doing. And if anything looked like it wasn't going to be safe. Yeah, exactly. They, they, and, wouldn't, they wouldn't have gone. And, and that's exactly it. Send a telegraph from the Visse when you guys pulled into there, that remote town site where they made right. base camp. Send a telegraph. Hey, you know, storm, blizzard, whatever. We're going to delay. We're going to do this. We're going right. to do that. I mean, you know, again, this is the 50s. Granted, it's Russia, but communication is still 
it's still there. It's still doable. So yeah, you're going to postpone. You're going to know that as an experienced hiker. Again, I go back to the experienced hiker thing. I just, you know, there's more. So the footprints found were analyzed and there was no sign of being scared and or being frantic. The footprint pattern would have been completely different if that was the case, uh, mainly because of how you see the indentations heel to toe type thing. Right. That's what they're saying. So the footprint showed the prints of someone walking normally or at a sped up, not running pace, not frantic, not marathon nothing of that thing. Right. Okay. Some theories suggest that this was simply a case of inexperience from the leader of the group, who is Igor Dyatlov himself. So let's hypothetically assume, and Mitchell and I talked about that a little bit, like, okay, you know, we keep going back to this experience thing. So let's just assume that there was a possible, possible scare of an avalanche or rethinking of where they decided to make camp. Due to chain reaction, bad decoctions, where bad decisions, everything else, um, it led to the demise of the entire party. This theory is fine. However, one of the members of the team... Alexander Zolotarov uh, was studying for his master's certificate in ski instruction and mountain hiking, along with the fact that, as mentioned earlier, every member was at least a class two hiker. For all nine members to react in a way that absolute amateurs react, all of them as a group is just, it's a far stretch that every single one of them would feed off one another. Right? Doesn't make any sense. Oh, everything has to go wrong. Right, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. It, shit has hit the fan in every single way, shape, or form, you know, for this. Right, like, on. I'm the first one to go and take Occam's razor and apply it to something and say the simplest explanation is probably the truth, but for that to be the case here, everything has to go wrong at every step of the way. I even remember when you sent this to me, and I did, you know, a whole five minutes research, good co-host, <laughs> I know, um... That said that this hike was actually, for some, if not all of them, their certification for going from class two to class three. Right. So not only are you a class two hiker, and, you know, I don't exactly know what all that means, but you're looking, again, to step up. One right, right. You're getting, for all intents better. and purposes, you're yeah. a class three hiker. Well, and that's what part of this hiking trip was for some of them. Right. Some right. of them that's were working saying. on that certification. So, you know, obviously, they didn't go in this fucking willy-nilly. They went into this study and knowing what they were doing, what they're getting into. I mean, it's just – okay. So it gets deeper. So those are some of the theories that are common theories um, that people are discussing. Same theories that they discuss now as they reopen the case. Um, They talked about the avalanche. They talked about this other thing. These are pretty – yeah, pretty bare-boned. Well, could have this happened? Run of the mill, easily explained, you know, pretty milk toast every day. Avalanche, you know, whatever. Could this have happened? Could this have happened? Could this have happened? Not too weird. Not too out there. Yeah. All things considered. Well, here we go. We're going to go out there. All right. So here's other theories. And actually, this one here really isn't an out there because it is a proven scientific fact. And it has been – it has happened um, to other hikers and other – um, outdoorsmen throughout the years. It, it's very, it's it's a scientific thing that that people came up with. But again, it's still one of those. It, it's a plausible theory, I guess, is the okay. word for it. There was a hypothesis of a condition known as a Carmen vortex. So in this theory, and and it is again been proven in a few instances, but not all, uh, were due to the design of the mountain of the valley, and you mix that with the winds. There's a sound vortex. That literally causes a sort of a panic attack. How it feeds down the mountain, depending on the geology of the mountain and everything that's concerned, it literally sounds like screams in the wind. Um, If the DLF party discovered this, it could explain how every single one of them went crazy. You know, they all heard the same thing. They all heard something that maybe to them was unnatural. 
you know, maybe supernatural, uh, you know, and they, and they just absolutely went crazy and went frantic. It's, it's, you know what? It's plausible to be honest with you. And, well, I, and it's not that far of a stretch to even just consider that the isolation, you know, being right. out there by yourself, you know, it's cold, it's lonely, it's whatever that, you know, it happens where sure. people go sure. nuts yeah. because they're just so far removed from civilization and the, the pressing loneliness of it all does Dude. something to you emotionally or mentally where, you know, oh my God, it's you know, like a panic attack. I Dude. have to get out. I have to get away. I have to go back. What You're not thinking straight anymore um, because it's so remote, because it's so scary and frightening out there. I'll tell you honestly, every Tuesday and Thursday, I lose my fucking mind. So I can absolutely, <laughs> I can, yeah, I totally get it completely. I don't need this Carmen Vortex to tell me that I'm fucking crazy. So there's other theories on this whole thing. So the parachute mine theory is another one. Um, and this is where the military comes into it. There have right. been some records uncovered that the Soviets were doing parachute mine tests in that area and around the area where the hikers were found. These tests consist of mines that blow up before hitting the ground and thus could have severe concussive properties that may fall in line with some of the members' fatal fractures and concussion of their bodies. So when, okay. the, when, the, when the doctor was talking about, hey, look, a car crash type thing, this is plausible for that. So this also falls in line with the previous account of other hikers that from miles away, along with the townsfolk, saw the orange orbs. Could it be that they're seeing those explosions? But then again, you're 30 miles away, right? Or no, 30, 31, right? Was right. this other party along with the townsfolk, along with other people? This is a explosion uh, that happens before it hits the ground that is so concussive that it's going to cause damage almost like a car crash. Right. You're 30 miles away. You're not going to fucking hear that at the same time you're saying that? Right. I mean, as with so many other things in this story, you go, it makes sense except for this. It makes sense right. until you consider you're right. right. Like that right. To- amount of damage yeah. would totally, yeah. you know, rupture somebody's three, spleen three or, boxes or are cause checked. a rib cage to cave right. in or whatever. But you're right. Somebody 30 miles away has to have, yeah. you know, a supersonic boom blows out windows in a house. Yeah. You're going to tell me that they didn't hear anything 30 miles away? 30 miles, not that far for that type of No, no, I don't think. And like I said, three boxes checked, but there's four boxes. That's the the okay. whole thing well, on this then, whole story. Well, then it gets weirder you know? then, I'm assuming. So it does. So here we go. Here's another one, radiation. So remember the brief history of the rural mountains in the relation to the Maya. So the Maya town was the one where the Soviets had the nuclear depot basically heading up, right? Right. So it was witnessed and reported that radiation was found on most of the bodies, along with the reports of their skin being brownish during the funeral. Um, so just to kind of you know play devil's advocate on this one, this could also be because of exposed to the winter sun, um, hypothermia, dead out right. in the middle of whatever, mortician puts makeup on. It could be explained from that. But they all had the same thing, um, and the families really mentioned that they were really concerned about that and what that looked like. So, you know, there's that thing. Another theory, the Russian Yeti. <laughs> Just going to leave it right there. So, you know, there's nothing else. You know, maybe it was fucking Bigfoot that, you know, tried to molest these people. I, I you know, I don't know. Anyway. Um, All I can picture is that, that old Bugs Bunny cartoon. I'm going to hug him and squeeze him and call him George. And will, then poof, he just yeah. kind of, you know, he collapsed his rib cage and his eyeballs popped Yeah, in. yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like one of those squeeze balls. I always wanted my own little bunny rabbit. I will name him George and I will hug him and pet him and squeeze him. I'm not a bunny rabbit. 
and pat him and pat him and... You are hurting me. Put me down, please. And rub him and caress him and... I ain't nobody Um. So, so those are all the theories. <clears throat> to wrap up this whole... This whole um, this case, 1999, the Dietloff Foundation was made um, at Yekaterinburg with assistance of Rural Techno- uh, Technical University, which were that's the same tech institute that they were going to um, before their demise. Sadly enough, right. uh, led by Yuri Kuntsevich, uh, the foundation target is to continue to continue to keep the mystery of Dietloff Pass alive and research any and all new information that may lead to a resolve along with keeping the memories of the hikers alive as well. So the recent news on this, um, as we mentioned you know, before we started the story, one of the reasons we kind of dug it up uh, was mainly because it was reopened by the Russian government late last year, so 2018. This investigation is throwing out all the wild and crazy theories that have been circulated over the last 60 years. 60 years, by the way, just to put that in correlation of how long this thing's been right. kind of battering back and forth. They are now mainly focusing on the theory of a slab avalanche uh, that could have slid into the tent and caused chaos and miscommunication amongst all parties and hypothermia soon after. Due to constant efforts and questions from existing family members, the public and media, um, Alexander Kurinoy, a Russia's prosecutor general, was one of the people that agreed to reopen the case and piece together what happened, putting aside the conspiracy theory bullshit altogether and actually focus on what the case might actually be and what possibly could have happened to these 10 unfortunate souls. So, the deal off pass. Thoughts? I don't know how to say it any differently than I guess I've kind of been beat. I, the short answer is I don't know. The short answer, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Of course, I don't know. Uh, I don't have a preferred theory and <laughs> right, like i say right. any fair. one of them That's makes fair. sense an animal attack makes sense except for you know why didn't it eat the other hikers right. or why didn't it chomp out an arm the the concussive blasts from the military make sense except for why didn't the other people hear them and i guess that's what makes this story so interesting is that it's you know there's so many like it has to be like a, a comedy of errors almost where everything yeah. you know yeah my thought process tending to be what it is goes, yeah, I guess that, you know, I'm more inclined to believe that it is a comedy of errors rather than a Yeti, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> aliens or anything be, yeah, like yeah. that. Right. But that's still a really long reach to go. They have to find a reason to leave the tent in a state of disarray where they leave all their shit behind and then get separated. And why would they have left in such a hurried fashion if they were experienced climbers and then they're found with other members clothing on them. That doesn't seem like somebody that's, you know, having a panic attack or a, in a yeah. mental state where they're not right. all there. True. Yeah. All of these things, any one of them works except for it doesn't work. There, there's so much to, and, and I think you're hundred percent right on, on a lot of that fact. Like I said, you know, there's four boxes, three of them are checked. The last one, is kind of in limbo, you know. I, uh, I, you know, I'll start kind of. I, I will keep on this case. You know, it's still open. They're still doing the research for it. I'd be really curious what they come up with. I suppose um, one thing again that I that I went down the rabbit hole on that really couldn't have anything that was that was a, a foundation of sorts was the fact that there were military number one a military base that was close by, and military testing that happened in that time frame. You know, keep in mind we're after World War II. 
You know, everybody got their ass kicked at a certain point. You know, what are we doing behind closed doors with experiments? I don't say it's a Yeti. I don't think it's aliens necessarily. But when you talk about uh, government and, um, you know, what might happen with that, with the radiation, with the concussive mite blast thing, I'm more leaning towards that of especially somebody that is an experienced hiker. They know what nature does. They're prepared for nature. They've studied nature. That's why they're experienced hikers. They want to be prepared for something that was not nature oriented. Does that make sense? Something where sure. it's military coming into it, or that that just completely threw them for a loop. If I right. had to, if I had to say something, I think I'd lean more towards more towards some just projects and hidden stuff the government's doing that sh- they shouldn't have been doing. You know, if you want to get a little conspiracy theory about it, there's definitely a case to be made for they stumbled somewhere that they didn't weren't supposed to stumble. And then the military goes and, well, let's make it look like an avalanche. Let's make you it look like an crazy. animal attack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you if, you, if, you, if you're really inclined to, to, to go for the conspiracy angle, I mean, I think that's the most sensible one. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you were to do know that for whatever reason, governments are just, and a lot of it just because for the, no reason at all, other than they feel like <laughs> that's what they're supposed to do is keep everything hidden. Right. Uh, if if there's a conspiracy angle to be had, that's the one that I like the best. You know, not that it's a Yeti, not that it's, you know, anything of that nature, but maybe they poked their noses where they weren't supposed to be poking their noses. You would think it would have to be something, like you said, that they're not prepared for. If you use right. the experienced hiker angle as your baseline and use that to remove anything that they were prepared for off the table, then it has to be something they're not prepared for. Yeah. No, and the and thing if is... It's, if it's not a Yeti, if it's not aliens, if it's not, you know, anything like that, then the only remaining explanation is that it had to do with the military. Yeah, and just one last thought, the whole thing, and not really thought, but, you know, some things I, again, I couldn't confound. I couldn't actually make it concise where, okay, I find it in three different places. This is what they're talking about. But there was, um, there was a couple times I stumbled upon reports when they originally found the hikers from the original epi- the, the first four or the first five basically um, right. and they did radiation tests on them and they the radiation tests were off the charts so yes it correlates with them talking about they had this brownish hue about them I couldn't conf- I couldn't make sense of what that looked like I couldn't find it again basically but right. I did cover on some where they actually did tests and the radiation was huge well okay why why is what is going on where they're hiking where there's radiation off the charts? The fact is, it's sad that they um they're missed that they died that that happened. Uh, if nothing else, so it gives us a topic to kind of think about and and talk about. And this one was fun. I mean, this one was really really kind of interesting to kind of dig down into and and kind of think out of the box a little bit. So you know, yeah, it's like I think I said this to you off air earlier. It's in most stories like this, you have something. Right, you have a footprint or a piece of hide or an artifact or something like that. And this story is interesting because it's you know, nothing. Yeah. There's an absence yeah. of information. You're, you're or still abs- left with or nothing. There's a whole bunch of <laughs> theories, but at the end sure. of the day, we don't really know much of anything when it comes to you know other than maybe there's some radiation or or whatever. But it's a whole bunch of guesses. Whole bunch of shit is what it is. I'll be honest with you. That is just a whole bunch of shit. But it, um, 
none of, hopefully you guys liked it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, it's interesting. There's a couple other things that come from the Russia area and that country that uh, I've kind of got half written that, that I stumbled across. I, I think, you know, places like Russia and these other countries that, that are very isolated, very remote, but yet they're known to have a kind of a high-end government or things going on. And it's very interesting when you start kind of uncovering these things throughout history, you know. And so there's some other things I'll have down the pike. But, dude, I guess, um, man, thanks for your time and your curiosity on this whole thing. I mean, nothing else. That's just awesome. It was fun. It was it was a blast. I really enjoyed this one. And I enjoyed that it was something that I came that – I mean, the first time I you were nice enough to have me on the show, we just sat around and drank our faces off and shot the shit, and that was fun. And then the second time, you let <laughs> me come up with something and wound me up and set me loose, and and that was what it was. But it was fun for me to sit down and listen to something that you had done all the research for and tried to put the pieces of the puzzle together myself as we went. Does that make sense? No, no, perfectly. Like, I could have sat down. I could have read all this sort of stuff my own self and and that would have been great but to have somebody that's you know leading you through it and walking you through it and as you're reading my mind's spinning in circles going yeah okay that makes sense but but then it doesn't <laughs> i love know? a good story and so I, I i i really enjoyed this i had a great time yeah. well with that being <laughs> said um i guess we can uh kind of uh close close the close we, we close I, the pass we, we close the pass the already. close the i close the close the, I get the, only the thing cover on the, the butter gates. Right, it is. I think it's the case. So, you know, it's been it's been walking through the gates with you, sir. Even though they close behind it's me, it's always a blast. We it get is, to open the gates, we have fun, and then at the end of the show, we have to close the gates. We close them one way or another. So awesome! Thank you. Close the gates. <laughs> Thousand people may 